That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Niagara Moon Losing my opinion Thin Lear, old buddy, old pal How's, how's tricks lately? Tricks? Uh... If you mean things in my life, hijinks. Oh, hijinks. Mischief. Uh, not a whole lot of mischief going on here. Uh, baby just had a bath. I don't know. Splish splash. How many hijinks were involved in that? But yeah, a lot of splashing. Yeah. Uh, can I say that today actually marks the one year anniversary that we started this podcast? Oh man! And you know why I yeah. know that? Our first recording is because we were missing the Super Bowl when we recorded our first episode, and we were joking that we didn't care. Uh, and now I think I made the same joke just a moment ago. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're missing the, the big game again. Missing the big game. Yeah. What's wrong with us? Yeah, a bunch of sports nuts <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah, talking about sports music. Football, baseball. Football. Uh, the other, other ones, other big ones. Different objects people throw and catch. <laughs> I'm, I'm no sports expert, but I'm working on becoming a music expert. That's right. It's your boy Thomas Irwin, a.k.a. Niagara Moon. What an intro. Uh, a, a universally hated indie musician, Thin Lear, a.k.a. Yes. Matt, a.k.a. Uh, Daddy. And yep. we have a guest today, Thomas. Oh, yeah, we do. We have the Wizard of Wurlitzer, Mr. Marker Starling himself, <laughs> a.k.a. Chris Cummings. How are you, sir? Hello. How are you, gentlemen? Good. How are you doing today? I'm delirious. <laughs> But I'm I'm keeping it together. Same. Delirious that you're here. For you guys, I'm here. <laughs> I am so excited to Same. have you on, sir. I have been enjoying Diamond Violence mm -hmm. all week. Oh, thank I you. I kid you not. Uh, End of summer at this point is one of those songs where I start humming it to myself for like a good 20 seconds before I realize I'm doing it. Like it is wedged in there, and I could not be happier. That is a a great That's... Uh, throwback uh, retro mellow tune. Thank you. Love it. Have you seen the video? I did, yeah. That was hilarious. Uh, In L.A.? L.A. That was my first visit to L.A. You look like you own the place. In you my, look like... Uh, you, you dress like an old-time like Hollywood producer. I, I love that video. I, I, I felt strangely at home there, I have to say. And those, those guys, Goldwing.tv, are very, very talented. They also did my last video, Diamond Violence, which is also a hilarious mini-movie. Chris, that cover art for Diamond Violence is... Incredible! Uh, who who di who did that? Oh, what was the i? What was the? Did you have the idea for it or? The artist's name is Mason Dickerson, and he's um, from North Carolina. We found him on Instagram. Uh, the head of the label, Rich, actually found him. I had been doing. I'd been working with an artist called Sharmila Banerjee in Germany uh, for my last three records, who did a sort of thin line cartoon style of artwork and. Um, I guess uh, we wanted to continue that tradition, uh, but do something that was even more cartoonish. I guess, and and for the first time, I appear as an icon in the uh, oh, in the cartoon, and then all of the people involved in the making of the record also appear on the back as if we're superheroes or I love something. It. And it's a very fun uh, treatment of the uh, the art for sure. And I love the the colors. Oh, it just jumps right out of my uh, my iPhone screen. Yeah, the sort of soft oranges and beiges and light, you know, yellows. 
it matches yellows. the tone of the music perfectly. Like I love it when you just get that perfect visual representation. Like you know exactly what vibe to expect going in. Um, cool. Yeah, and I'm, cool. I'm slowly starting to make my way back to uh, to your other records too. I, I really was uh, enjoying a c- collaboration with uh, Leticia Sadler and yeah, Sad Yay. Sad Yay. Oh man, unbelievable! Well, I'm gonna go hide in a hole. The Shut rest the of this podcast episode. down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the the previous record, High January, has three Stereolab connections actually because Sean O'Hagan produced it and he worked with Stereolab in the 90s and did a lot of their string arrangements as well as being awesome. in the, the he was the band leader of the High Llamas mm. which was you know kind of a sister band to Stereolab and also Andy Ramsey the drummer of Stereolab engineered the record and it was recorded in his uh, studio in South London so uh, i got the hell yeah this you know connected with the the Stereolab folks um, for that record, and we we just recently opened for them in, in Canada as well, Toronto and Montreal in October. Uh, nice on the on their North American tour in the fall of twenty two, which was very very fun. It's fantastic. Yeah, they're uh, they're a good time. I would I like to just talk more with you about Stereo Lab and other collaborators for forty five minutes. Yes, I would, but unfortunately, I have to do a <laughs> podcast here. What podcast you ask? This is losing my opinion. Uh, we're all going to surprise each other here today with some uh, some unusual song selections, or maybe very usual, uh, and um, some hot takes, some uh, some contrary opinions. Maybe we're we're going to get into it. I hope things are are not super heated this week. I'm not ready for no. an argument. I don't want to fight with you. <laughs> <laughs> I just met Chris. I don't want to fight with him. I'm going to keep myself no. in check today. Sizzling, sizzling hot. Takes. I'm going to keep myself uh, tepid. Unless, you know, somebody provokes me, is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to keep my takes pretty tepid as well. Yeah. All right. To be honest. Yeah. Well, it makes for a good show. Tepid takes, good show. I like it. Well, my, my brain's a little fried uh, today, so we're, we're not going to get... What you got, man? What, what do I have here? I have some music I really like today. We're going we're gonna to keep it casual on that front. Uh, the theme of today, well, in, in one way, it's certainly the theme of the cover which we've definitely talked about before. And I don't mean uh, album cover. I mean like covering songs, reinterpreting them, recontextualizing them. I almost You got it. No, you you don't have to edit that. I got got it. it. I stuck the landing. (laughs) The power of recontextualizing a song when you cover it. And there's like, you know, way, there's a ton of different ways you can do that. I'm not talking about uh, 8-bit covers today. Don't don't worry. (laughs) I, I just, I have three covers where... Um, all of them I like more than the original. Two of them I don't really even like the original much to begin with, mm. but I love the reinterpretation, and it just shows you the endless bounds of creativity you can employ as a musician, even if you didn't write the song yourself. Um, and just also, like, you know, uh, when it changes context, context is everything. Uh, just to kind of put a button on our, our Billy Joel talk <laughs> last week, where uh, you know that I enjoy the the Steely Dan album Gaucho, but then you're like, how come you're not getting into Rosalinda's eyes? It's the same thing. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I completely <laughs> stand by that statement. And I say that <laughs> the best way I can put it is Steely Dan's Gaucho. I feel like um, it's late night in L.A. where uh, Marker Starling was just hanging out here. I'm up to something no good in a fancy car. And Rosalinda's eyes, I felt like I was at a business convention at some hotel in Indianapolis. <laughs> and that's just how I feel. That's oh, it. I, I got no, nothing more substantial on, on the matter. That's I have just to, how it works. I have to uh, 
I have to weigh in as well and yes. just say I'm not a I'm not a big Billy Joel guy. He's he's hard to swallow sometimes. I I've come to appreciate aspects of him, but uh, we've we've gone over that. For I grew a couple I was now. I was a little kid in the late seventies and you know preteen in the early eighties, and the music was so inescapable, and his mat, machismo was so inescapable. It was I, but I do like um, what's the very easy listening one. Sure. Just the way you are. Someone like uh, previously on the podcast was talking about how that song is like listening to it's trying to like uh, wrestle someone that has no bones. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Billy Joel, he's very masculine. He's got a, he's, there's a lot of masculinity that is uh, coming out of him. So that's the long, that's the Long I Island thing. the Long Island thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you thought it was ubiquitous <laughs> outside of Long Island, can you imagine? All right, I'm shutting down the Okay, the all right, Joel I said talk. I wasn't going to get we, we did it excited on a previous episode. Chris brought up Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we got to have some amount of space in between the, okay, the Joel all right. talk. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, Talking Joel. I like hearing from, I always, I'll hear it from somebody who experienced Joel firsthand back in the day. That always, you know, but we, 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 uh, we got business to attend to here. I want to show I, you. I mean, I, well, well, may I just yeah. uh, also bring up the 1985 song, uh, what the hell is it called? Second oh, Wind. Oh, yeah. That's a heavy have song. You guys oh, I don't seen, know that one. Have you guys seen the awful, awful? Yeah, he's on a bridge. Oh, but I, I want to. He's now. talking someone off a bridge. I yeah, think you should. <laughs> that song single-handedly killed any prospects Billy Joel might have had of making me like him. And that, and that you say you didn't like oh, the I video. Have to see this then. Now. Yeah, summer or the song. But uh, what, by the time of um, we didn't start the fire, I was already like, no. Yeah. Please you did no. start the fire. He, he showed his no uh, true colors by that point. Thomas, we should start a separate podcast <laughs> called Talkin' Joel, where we just bring on different artists and they talk about how they don't like Billy oh, Joel okay. for different reasons. Oh, but you know what the <laughs> you know what the thing about uh, we didn't start the fire is he is those those events that he uh, you know s- s- you know spells out they are in sequential order. Like he's going know. through stuff in sequential order as, as you know, saying like, this is what all, all of us boomers mm-hmm. went through. And it ends in 1985 with the Cola Wars. That's like the most recent thing that he, he And arguably the, the most important, I would say, out of everything that he was talking about. <laughs> and it's like, blah, 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 the Cola Wars. I it's can't what, take it's it It's the anymore. straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. For him. For his mind. Like that's the... <laughs> all right. Yeah. I'm shutting this down. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's good stuff. He just comes wheedling back into the discussion time and time again. We can't escape old BJ there. Will you hear my McCartney? I case? cannot wait oh. for that. If that's happening, I'm very excited. I'll t- I'll talk McCartney. We have we. There's no. a lot more to dig into with him, but uh, no. To kick things off, I'm going to get right into it. I want to show you, and I'm sure, obviously, both of you know the original. I'm sure both of you probably know this cover rendition as well. Um, I'd be surprised if you both didn't really like this cover, but who knows? Uh, I want to play the Gypsy Kings version of Hotel California. Yeah. Okay. So I know this from, uh, it, okay. I'm going to, might, I might be wrong here. Is this, this, you know it from a little movie? Yeah. Is this playing in the big Lebowski? The big something. Yes. Uh, you, <laughs> I'll, we don't have to quote big Lebowski okay. now. We, we can, if we want to, but oh. you don't mess with the Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, great. One of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, a rare example of a movie that is not overhyped. Like it is, it it delivers. I have, I, I have thoughts about this song already, but let's let's listen to it and yeah. and yeah. Uh, I do not like the original. I really like Discover. I like Gypsy Kings in general. It's it's hard to go wrong. I mean, they're a very particular flavor, but like 
they breathe a life and vitality into the song that I never would have thought was there otherwise. Um, even if it hadn't been um, in that famous bowling alley scene. <laughs> Chris, you like the original you know, Hotel film. California? No. <laughs> My man. <laughs> no. Not a, Not big, a big Eagles, Eagles guy. guy right? I hate the fucking Eagles, man. <laughs> this song is like kind of, I, can, I can't extract it from the scene. You know what I mean? Because that's the first oh, time I heard it. Yeah. That scene is so insane. When he's like dancing in slow motion. Yeah, and he's licking the bowling ball. the pins are behind him. Yeah, like I can't hear it without seeing John Turturro doing those things, which is great. I mean, I love Uh, that. Right. It's a plus. Yeah, just it's one of those things burned into your brain. All right, here we go. I'm going to skip a little bit to, uh, you know, it's a very lengthy introduction. I'm going to skip a little bit forward to where it gets a little spicy. But yeah, this is just, it's one of those covers where I hear this rendition of it, I'm like, this is the song. This is the true essence of it to me. Like I can't, the original, you know, even if I were to have my feelings of the Eagles put aside, it's just so slow and just kind of, it feels weighed down to me, the original, but here we go. Hotel California by the Gypsy Kings. Either of you speak Spanish? No. I, I should. No. I really should. Come to English just for the chorus. Love it. Okay. All right. Let's let's get Chris's take. Uh, I like it. I like it. It's okay. Uh, in my heart of hearts, I am not big on this style of production. <laughs> the '90s uh, production style, especially. I don't know. Just so, like there, what was the big main? What was the big uh, Gypsy King song? Bamboleo, bamboleo. Yeah. yeah, they they are in an unfortunate era of music production history. Yeah, I can't hear anything by them without hearing that song. And like Billy Joel, that was an inescapable ah. song at the time. And uh, I don't know. There's something about the production style that rankles me, as much as the music is undeniably good music and I like the guy's voice and I like the, the groove of it and everything. Uh, then Lear, I feel like you've talked about this production style before this era, like very yeah. tail end of the eighties, early nineties. It's It's especially rough on the acoustic guitars, right? I mean, it's uh, so <laughs> and big, big Lebowski is set in 1991, right? Even though right, it's right. made in 98. <laughs> so is all the music also from 91? No, it's a real mix. No. Um, okay. Yeah. Th- or nothing, nothing further you know, there's music from pre-1991, but is there anything post-1991? Ooh, I feel this is like a pop quiz on my... I don't think so. Uh, Just go reaction. I don't, knowing the Cohen brothers and their level <laughs> of insanity, so, yeah. I don't think... I, I'm thinking Man and Me, 
What condition my condition was in? Yeah, yeah it's mostly like late stuff. 60s, early 70s yeah. kind of. Uh, I, I kind of, I mean, I love that guy's voice. Um, and I also, again, I love the scene. So it's sort of, it's just inextricable for me. Uh, I can't yeah. uh, fairly rate the song because I just love the movie and the scene. And it is such a great piece of music supervision as art. Uh, and th- they, they did their job on that one. So I just enjoy the whole package. So it makes me smile when I hear it. I don't know if I would like listen to it on headphones though, the whole way through. Um, but enough, yeah, it makes me enough. happy to hear it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Marcus Starling, I completely hear you on the production being a little unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. I am able to ignore it somehow. Like I'm always aware of it, but I'm able to like put <laughs> it to the side. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, doesn't win out to early '70s warmth, uh, for sure. We're gonna we're gonna kick things forward a little bit here. We're still uh, we're going back a few years, but uh, the next track I'm gonna play is from 2002. Uh, this is a cover of a very very well, pretty famous song. Very famous band. Uh, I like the band, not so hot on this song maybe, um, but I do love the band that uh, covers it here, uh, Kirinji. Um, I don't know mm. if uh, I know, Matt. You've heard don't me know. talk about them before. I don't know what don't they sound if, like. Uh, I remember Chris. you saying that word. I don't remember what they sound like. <laughs> so they're a uh, Japanese duo, um, and they're they're still kicking and, and active today. I love their their catalog. They they do kind of often like very kind of smart, jazzy, funky, sometimes folky. Uh, I don't know, adult oriented rock. Is that still a term? But AOR uh, baby, <laughs> AOR. They're they nail it. Um, but uh, this is, they do a cover of Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. What is oh happening? <laughs> what is this going to, why are you showing us this? Because I love, I don't really care for the original. I love this cover as a piece of music and I totally hear them making it their own. Okay. I don't like the and original I, I think you both, either. So yeah, I think, I think this is going to, much like what I had with Hotel California, I think this is going to make you hear the song in a new light. I, when, I th- when I think of this song, I, I think of working in a deli hearing this playing and and my life could not be more incongruous with what's happening in the music of like spooning tuna salad into a plate and hearing fat bottom girl. So yeah, let's do it. All right. And again, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead, just a teensy tad. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to hear Chris's uh, reaction to this one. To like the early Doobie Brothers. I was going to say canned heat. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Oh, won't you 
How are we feeling on this one, folks? I, I complicated. Pretty complicated. cool. I, I, the more I listen to it, the more I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it slowly envelops you. It gets very harmonically intricate, like they kind of like a jazz cover they add in. Do these guys do all covers, or do they have originals as well? They're mostly uh, originals, and I really like their their songwriting a lot. But uh, yeah, they'll have the occasional cover, and that's probably my favorite of theirs. Um, but yeah, they're they're great songwriters for days. Cool. I mean, I thought it was cool. I uh, I it's not the kind of thing I normally would gravitate to, but uh, I do. I, I I respect it. I like it. Do you uh, like it better than the original? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah, of the I, I would agree no. with Chris's take there. I think uh, it really they make it work. I mean, I la- I chuckled when I heard it come in, but like the changes melody really lend themselves to that style that they kind of fit it into so there's a sincerity to it for sure like a a love of what you can do with the source material musically yeah and then you can almost just sort of forget like how dumb the you know the original (laughs) thing's just like a trite like bar rock tune it's like a successful exercise (laughs) that these guys have undertaken yeah all right well for my third and final act uh this next cover I'm going to show is not very sonically dissimilar to the original. Uh, very similar in a lot of ways if you were to just like hear it without context. But that's where uh, context comes in with this next one. And I find this to be fascinating. Like the more I think about it, I'm like, I feel like if I was a writer, I'd like start writing a short story about it. Um, I, uh, I like the artist Rufus Wainwright. I don't know if we have any other Rufus fans here. Yeah, love his voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like Loud and Wainwright a hell of a lot as well. Very, his, very uh, different. The, yeah, the, the Paterfamilia. Yes. <laughs> How about the McGarrigals? I love the McGarrigals. Oh, I don't know them. I, yeah. I know there's like the, well, it's his, his yeah, mom and his aunt. Oh wow, because I know there's the Roches, and then there's Lucy Wainwright Roche and Martha Wainwright. Like it's a, this huge musical tree. Oh, the Roches and the McGarrigals are an intermingled family. I or know no, uh, there's. Um, Susie Roche, I think is her name, and she was yeah. partners with Loud and Wainwright at one point, and then they had a daughter who's Lucy Wainwright, Wainwright ah. Roche, and she plays, she performs with her mother sometimes, and it's it's this whole, yeah, it's like anybody who's any part of that family is very musically talented, but... Uh, That's the Roches yeah. that do Hammond's song? Like that Robert Fripp? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful Ooh, song. Love that song. Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's lots of legends in the... Uh, Talented family tree. The Wainwright clan. But uh, so Rufus was kind of my introduction to all of them. He might be my favorite. I, I really love the album poses. Um, I definitely consider it an influence on old Niagara Moon over there. And uh, <laughs> there's uh, a cover on the album poses. And again, this is, I think we're talking like 2001. We're going back a ways here, but... Rufus Wainwright covered a song called One Man Guy, which is a song written by Loudon Wainwright, his father. Sorry, Loudon Wainwright III. I was going to correct you, but I decided not to, you know. Just <laughs> You and everybody else who listens to this show. So, I mean, they have a very kind of complicated, contentious relationship that's been, you know, fodder for music journalism for decades. But Loudon Wainwright III has written a lot of great songs. 
And One Man Guy is certainly a great song. He's got a ton of them, though. The idea that Rufus chose this particular song to cover is fascinating to me uh, because I guess you're going to, you'll hear it, you know, when we start listening and you hear the lyrics and everything. But uh, to my ears, it sounds like somebody who's accepting the fact that they're a narcissist. Hmm. Like it's all about how I just, I'm a one man guy. It, it, I'm all about me. Like that's all I got time for. It might be <laughs> sick. It might be twisted. Uh, but that's who I am. And it's, you know, it's one thing to write that song and then your, you know, your son sings that in that. I don't know. I just, I got to play the song. It's just like this wonderful <laughs> uh, Russian nesting doll of uh, complicated emotions here. Let's hear it. I mean, plus he's got a great voice and, uh, you know, injects some, some, some cool uh, arrangement and production stuff here. But yeah, One Man Guy by Rufus Wainwright. See what you folks think. People know when they see this show the kind of a guy I am They'll recognize just what I stand for And what I just can't stand They'll perceive what I believe in And what I know is true like molasses people meditated that's just great trying to find the inner you people depend on family and friends and other folks to pull them through I don't know why I'm a one man guy That's the best lyric. <laughs> I'm a one-man guy in the morning, same in the afternoon. One-man guy when the sun goes down, I whistle me a one-man tune. One-man guy, one-man guy, only kind of gotta be. That's very beautiful. I'm gonna yeah. bathe and shave and dress myself. Yeah. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but it certainly sounds like he's got family members uh, singing back. I don't know one. I should know that, and I didn't do research whether that's the case in this recording, but I do know that there's other, like, videos of live performances where it's like him and plenty of his other family members, including Loudon, singing the song together. Oh, yeah. cool, cool. But Kate, Kate and Anna McGarrigal, those are... Those are the, the, the 70s, 1970s Canadian um, ah. singing duo who uh, are his mom and aunt. And um, their records are really wonderful. I got to check those out. And this, this has a um, definite uh, connection mm. to that in terms of the, uh, you know, just sort of laid back um, beauty of it. Yeah. I, uh, 
I love that kind of just folky, relaxed sound, but folk that's kind of like, I don't know, more like personal stories or in Loudon's case, it's always like autobiographical, but, you know, as opposed to necessarily just like message songs. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. Thin Lear, the the context behind this one and just imagining Rufus deciding to sing that for your album, like... It's just what what's going on in the man's head. I guess uh, I'll never know. I don't know. It's it is moving though. It's it's uh, yeah. I was moved listening to it. I do love that record. Uh, I don't even think I was aware that that was a Loud and Wainwright song. I haven't heard the original. Yeah, I've never heard the original yeah. either. It's uh, Shocker performed just by Loud and Wainwright. There's no other <laughs> performers on the uh, the original recording. It's just him and a guitar uh, from the album I'm All Right. I think from 1985. Makes sense. Oh, 1985. Oh, okay. So it's a later one yeah. of his. He's a one-man guy. I don't know if I want my dad writing a song like that personally, but... No, probably not. Oh. No. Yeah. <laughs> did, did, did you accomplish what you feel you wanted to accomplish today? Yeah, I just got to shoot the shit, play some songs I love, and <laughs> get a good audience It's a strong it. argument. A strong argument, I yeah. feel. I, all right. If I'm going to put in an argument, it's, I think, Rufus Wainwright covering that song... Uh, with all that history they have, I think that's like, if you were to have to write like a whole essay about a song mm. and the, like the psychological goings on, I, I think that could be one of your top picks. Mm. That it's like, is he happy about it? Is does he feel the same way? Does he relate to him? Is this is he trying to exercise a demon? Is it like just a joke? Like everything all in between? I got no freaking idea. They're uh, they're complicated, talented people. Three cubic feet of bone and meat. Are all I will ever says? love and know. Yeah. Bone and blood <laughs> and meat. <laughs> That's good stuff. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, Marker Starling, uh, what have you been listening to recently? Listen, my opinion. You want me to go? I want you to go. Oh, you go. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm picking songs that uh, sort of reveal something about my... Uh, Musical influences, mm. I suppose. And the first one I picked was uh, uh, "Family Affair" by Sly and the Family mm. Stone, which I think is probably a, a song everybody knows. But that record that it comes from, uh, "There's a Riot Going On," it, it w- was one of kind of two records that sort of were my go-to uh, albums when I was like 19 or 20, which is the late 80s. Um, and the reason that I loved it so much was because it was so, you know, antithetical to what was the, the musical, uh, production style of the, of the times, uh, you know, uh, one thing that people of my age, you know, I was born in 1969. One of the things that we're famous for having to endure was the threat of nuclear war, like growing up under Mm. the threat of nuclear war, which was traumatic. But another traumatic thing we had to, uh, you know, go through was the transition into the late 80s production style. <laughs> Followed Even closely by, yeah. <laughs> in this, you know, in Reagan's uh, second term and in like the Bush one yeah. term. Terrible production style. So, uh, uh, you know, hearing something like there's a riot going on with this kind of dry, yeah. dead sound and uh, everything being sort of deliberately uh, degraded mm. sounding. Um, it was, re- was very uh, eye-opening to me. It also reminded me of Sesame Street. 
oh, to be quite honest. Like the, I, 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 yeah, I was a little kid in the early 70s and Sesame Street had an enormous influence on me. And the, there were a lot of, um, you know, songs that could fall under the category of funk or jazz funk uh, in, in the Sesame Street uh, yeah. catalog. Yeah, they had great music on Sesame Street. Especially the cartoon segments. Yeah. I mean, I love Joe Raposo as well. Like, I love being green and, and the songs yeah. that he wrote for the the Muppet characters on the on Sesame Street. But the cartoon segments had the most effed up you know, yeah. <laughs> contributions. Yeah, it's, it's funny you brought up the production of that um, that Sly Stone record because it's like um, when you when you said the name of the song, I thought of that like gurgling bass. Like the bass on that record is so yeah. interesting. The way that it's Larry, mixed. Larry, what's his mm-hmm. name? That guy is so good. Graham? Larry Graham, like basically the inventor of slap yeah. bass for all intents and mm-hmm. purposes. And it, there's whole sections of the record that are just drum machine and mm-hmm. clavinet. And the bass coming in, like just peppering in sometimes and playing high on the bass as well. So, you know, it's a very trebly record. It's a very um, compressed sounding record. The vocals are always yeah. dry. Um, and, and the weird thing is that, uh, um, you know, family affair, uh, the song was so anticipated in like Christmas of 71 when the record came out that it was number one immediately and stayed number one for, mm. for a long time. And, um, it's just strange because it was this brief period where something as cool as that could be number one and sort of a, a thing that everyone was looking forward to and anticipating and, and then later imitating, it's rare that something that cool aligns with something that popular. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like it was it was a very short period because it's it soon became like backstabbers by the OJs, which I also yeah, yeah, love. Yeah. But but where it has like full orchestral uh, uh, mm. backing, you know. Yeah the the drum machine. I mean, I love the drum machine all throughout uh, Riot Going On and like um, Fresh is really where that yeah that's... Fresh is another favorite of mine for sure. It's a really, like, I love it. It's a really cheap-sounding drum machine, too. Like, it sounds like somebody just, mm-hmm. like, flicked, flicked it on absentmindedly in the studio and just, like, let, like, the preset, preset like, default sequence just play out. And you got that organ. Well, that was all they could, I, I mean, they, uh, that was basically all they could do. I think it was just, they only had loops. But uh, the, there was one called the Maestro Rhythm King that you could actually play the hits on it. And I think that's what they're doing on, on Family Affair. Like, there's... There's live drums, but there's also, there's like very softly in the background, you can hear a drum machine going really fast. And uh, I think they're adding hits on the Maestro Rhythm King at the same time and also playing live drums as well. So there's a lot of layering of of sounds that that gives it its uh, overall effect. So creative. Thomas, is this, uh, you know, probably, this is not as good as Steely Dan's drum machine, right? The whatever, Bessie? It It is no Wendell. It didn't cost a million dollars to make custom the one that they that they did for for gaucho yeah exactly wasn't that like the the first version of pro tools essentially something like that or where, where they could like see the they could see the waveform visually and move it around and adjust it and, and oh i didn't talk about know, that one. absolutely I discuss gaucho that sounds really cool that was i didn't see that on wikipedia i think the guy who produced gaucho in, basically invented pro tools like just for donald Fagan <laughs> to be able to move move drum hits wow. around. for them to tell people they weren't playing you correctly know. Donald Fagan, yeah. the daddy of Pro Tools. <laughs> I remember reading that somewhere. And, That's uh, great. Let's listen, let's listen, to, it. I'll let's listen it to it. I want to hear Family Affair. Yeah, yeah. listen to Family Affair. 
I, uh, yeah, this is worlds away from that sort of, you know, perfect quote unquote studio polish of, of Steel Dam, but I love the vibe of uh, this era, Sly and the Family Stone. And I, if mm-hmm. I remember right, like this is like a dark feeling song. Like the, I always, like hearing the song as a kid, it always struck me as very like sinister, like something not good mm-hmm. is going on, but I guess there's a riot going on. <laughs> it's druggy, but I always found that the, the joyful uh, songs on this record, like You, Got, you mm. Caught Me Smiling oh, yeah. and uh, Running Away, like I, I feel like those are like pure joy. Like I don't feel that there's anything... Well, maybe there is something. Maybe I just like things that are sinister. I don't know, but <laughs> it's to me. It's I think joyful. it's just the production, Thomas. You're you're talking about is that sort of um, I don't want to say muddy because it's more intentional than that. But like you know, no, it's it's perfect. Yeah. It's like lo-fi. It's like an original yeah. '70s mm-hmm. version of lo-fi. But he he was creating yeah. lo-fi yeah. at you know because because why because up to then it had always been about like trying to achieve sonic mm. perfection. Grows up to be somebody that just loves to learn and another child grows up to be somebody you just love to burn. Mom loves the both of them. You see it's in the blood. Both kids are good and bound. Thicker than the mud, it's a family affair. It's a family affair. It's a family affair. Oh, no, bad. Wow, no, bad. Oh, no, bad. Oh, no, bad. This mix. It's perfect. Yeah. We're just still checking each other out. Hey. Hey. Nobody wants to blow. Nobody wants to be left out. Well, I'm hearing that whirlits are coming through more. Yeah. Did you know that Billy Preston played that? Oh, yeah, f- fifth him? Beatle Billy Preston <laughs> played yeah. that bit. Yeah. There's, uh, there's. I read somewhere that Herbie Hancock played on this record too. Like he was constantly bringing people in. Miles Davis Mm. played on it too. Apparently, I've heard keyboards. So uh, you know, there was like a constant stream of people coming and going while he was making this record over a period of a year or more. I think that, and part of the reason why the tape sounds so degraded is that you know they they re-recorded stuff over and over again. (laughs) Yeah, that's a vibe. It's a vibe. I forgot how much I love that uh, that goddamn band. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, there's kind of strangely, uh, I feel like they're not as talked about now as they were when mm. I was growing up. I think that's you know Sylvester Stewart is one of the best lyricists. Mm. You know, he was one of the most inventive, uh, um, you know, people in terms of 
creating new genres and things like that. Like between like stand and uh, there's a right going on and fresh. Like it's sort of like three different, you know, streams of music came out of those three records. Frisky is a bonkers song. I love that one. Frisky, yeah, yeah. And also Small Talk is a great record mm. too. That's an, the record after Fresh is is pretty underrated. That that sort of sank his his like career after that because like, he was the coolest person in the world. It seems like from kind of nineteen sixty nine to yeah. seventy one, and then just kind of by seventy four, it just seemed like it was all the, over. The drugs got him particularly bad, and that's a pretty sad story with him. I, f- I forget if he's still with us yeah. today, but yeah, he is. I, oh, he great. Is. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Like I remember seeing footage of him from I don't know maybe ten years ago ago or so. He wasn't in. Um, yeah, he just he had some some bad luck, some some bad uh, a bad scene early on for him, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's definitely true. Like he was one of the most brilliant minds in music, Fucking and then cocaine. He was sidelined by sidelined by drugs, but uh, like that was in in twenty twelve twenty thirteen. There was that period where he was it was looking like there was going to be live shows again yeah. with him, which would have been incredible, but didn't really come to pass apart from a few. You know, appearances. See, in that Summer of Soul documentary, if you've seen that one, uh, that qu- that Questlove. I still haven't uh, seen the whole that. thing is incredible. Uh, watch that and too, their yeah. their bit in particular yeah. uh, is just amazing. Like it's like how how <laughs> why are we just seeing this now? Like it like it's uh, yeah this, that should be ubiquitous. Wow. That we started strong here. I, I can't wait to see what you got yeah, next. How are you, you going to top that? Oh, okay. Chris? You want me to? Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, the next thing I picked was uh, Shuggy Otis. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Inspiration killer information. Groove after killer Groove. For years and years in the 90s, I searched for like music that was kind of like uh, There's a Rack Going On. And I finally came across this French compilation called The Smoocher in about 94. That was a bootleg compilation of you know 70s R&B tracks. And they had the, the song Inspiration Information. Yes. Um, that was the first you know time that I heard that song and it said, you know, this is like the closest anyone has got to like the vibe of, uh, there's a right going on. But when I actually heard it, I was like, this is way stranger than <laughs> there's a right going on. And then eventually someone got me cause the record was virtually impossible to find mm. in Canada anyway. And someone found it for me in, in San Francisco, the inspiration information album in like 98. And so the song I wanted to pick was actually out of, out of my mm. head, which is not the standard spelling. <laughs> Of, out of my head. Uh, no, it is. It's not close. It's, it's not particularly close. It, it, that's A H T, I think, right? A H T. A H T. Yeah. U U H. Found right? it. M I. Okay. H-E-B. It looks like Scots spelled out like that. Chris, I have a CD of um, that combines Freedom Flight and Inspiration Information, and it's just like one track oh, yeah. listing, and that's the, the only thing I have from him. Yeah. But that's like. Yeah, where I first heard him, it was like, this is incredible. I thought it was one record <laughs> for the longest time. I was just like, what an amazing double uh, album. You know, how, how releases confuse you as you're growing up. Well, there was like a, uh, in 2001, there was a Luaka Bop um, version of Inspiration Information. Like that was kind of mm-hmm. like when it was, when it had its resurgence. And they, they re-released it with a few extra tracks from the Freedom Flight record. But yeah, I had the Freedom Flight record long before I had Inspiration Information. And I also loved yeah. that that record too strawberry letter yeah. 23 and, yeah that uh, is a that's one of those songs strawberry letter 23 that's like there's magic very specifically in that song like there's there was a spell cast oh, yeah. on that song and i the cover 
too yeah. of it. Uh, the Brothers Johnson. Yeah, that from Jackie Brown. Like yeah, their, yeah. <laughs> their cover. I love both versions equally, but like they took it to a next level of funk too in their version. Oh yeah, that's a nice like later seventies, oh, you know, update of that of that uh, sound. Yeah, yeah, with the sort oh. of bell synth tone, and then it's just like walk dinosaur stomp once the, uh, the rhythm section kicks in. <laughs> but yeah, Shuggy Otis is like that. It's like, do you know who played bass uh, for him? Like on these uh, original albums? I don't know. I thought he was playing all the. I was thinking, yeah, I thought he was like a. Uh, that wouldn't surprise Captain me. Captain Manyhands kind of situation. One of the fucking. Best bass lines, best bassists of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think he did all the string arrangements and everything too. Like Inspiration Information is another record where you can sort of tell that they uh, they worked on or he worked on it for a very long time and overdubbed oh, man. multiple times because it sounds a bit ground down as well. That's a trend, Chris, and the, the the sound you like is you like these these folks just hitting the tape hard. I want that I, tape degraded. I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I do. It was a particular thing in the 80s and 90s, liking that, the dusty, so-called mm-hmm. dusty groove. I like it sound. in general whenever I hear it because it gives the sound you listen to, I mean, pretty much no matter what the instrument is, it gives it some, uh, this is going to be gibberish to people who aren't into music production, but it gives it like a physicality almost. Like it, mm-hmm. these sounds are, you feel like they exist physically in nature more. Yeah. Like they're giving... You're yeah. given like a, a very specific character and like level of yeah. detail that's not, that does, seems less fake and like less just artificially reproduced. Right, right. And, and at a time when now when sort of everything in the top 40 just has this kind of weightless sound to it. <sighs> I feel like there's some awareness of, of the appeal of that though. I feel like people try to pull tricks where they get a little bit of that tone. And even if oh, it's yeah. just. Yeah. They, they can try. Yeah, they can try. They, they can, can try. open up Pro Tools and. Donald Fagan's patented Pro Tools TM and then yeah, yeah. Right. do their damnedest. Not that I don't also record digitally, but, yeah. you know. All right, let's listen to Out of My Head. Mm. Classic drum machine again. Yeah. What Boz Skaggs aspires to? Harp-like tone there in the background. It's slightly out of tune. I just yeah. love that. Then the strings, the strings come in. Very sparing use, sparing use of strings though. Mm. 
There's a sound effect of an eagle there. Oh, I just got it. I just love this. I heard it again. And then we're back into back into like a different room now. Yeah, got pretty pet soundsy for a moment there. Yeah, yeah. So many ideas, uh, and it's amazing that they all work together. Yeah, yeah. Man, he could do it all. Little disco stab there. Proto disco. Yeah, this is all, it's so early still. It's in the first half of the 70s he's doing all this stuff. Yeah. Like it came out in 74, but I think he was working on it for about two years or something. It sounds like that. You know, it's, it sounds, and I mean that as a compliment, it sounds like I always felt like his music sounded like it was a labor of love. There's nothing dashed off mm -hmm. about this music. It's carefully considered. No. You guys I like it? Love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I could listen to that every day for a long time. That had a whole uh, collection, too. that inspiration information. It's just yeah, a singular totally. vision, you know? Like I love getting locked in that yeah. world. It's just easy to get lost in. Totally. Here's one I'll throw to the group. Uh it's not exactly a one to one really, but you can Jimi Hendrix is inescapable from like you know, eight years old on, you hear about him all the, the freaking time. Why, why is Shuggy Otis not even a fraction of that amount of notoriety, I know. notoriety or influence? In, See, the, uh, I feel the same way about Bobby Caldwell and Billy Joel. Like, why is Bobby Caldwell not as famous as Billy Joel? I don't know who Bo Bobby Caldwell well, is. Well, there you go, man. Oh, you you know him. You know him. Um, um, what You Won't Do for Love. I know. I'll do my homework after the show here. It's, it's not ringing a bell. Oh, you'll love it. I, mean, I don't want to know just the way you are. I'd rather know this uh, Caldwell character. Oh, uh, and he, he has another amazing song called um, Open Your Eyes. Oh, I'll send it yeah. to you guys. I'll send it like, to you guys. Yep. Yeah, like he should be, like those two songs, for those two songs alone, he should be as famous as Billy Joel. Shall I hit yeah. you with one more? I'm good for one more. How are you doing, man? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this one is um, uh, If You Believe in Me by John Lucien. Uh, John J O N Lucien, uh, who was uh, an artist on RCA uh, Records, who did this sort of combined style that it, you know it, it combined sort of calypso and Brazilian music and R and B, and he has a unique voice. And uh, he did these this couple of records with uh, Dave Grusin, who wrote a lot of very groovy soundtrack music and was a producer of, of other. Um, Artists, but he did the, the soundtrack for the film uh, Three Days of the Condor, which I don't know if you've if you've heard that, but it's very it's one of the funkiest uh, uh, movie scores of the mid seventies, and uh, that's stiff competition too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Taking of Pelham One Two Three is the that's ultimate one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Dave Grusin is a is a god, and uh, John Lucian is also a god. So uh, this is from the record Rashida. Which is uh, wall to wall, 
it's like a kind of concept album. All the songs kind of blend together and it's this kind of, it is sort of easy listening, but, uh, and it has, a, it has strings on it and, and stuff, but it's just so, um, one of a kind that, uh, as soon as I, as soon as I heard this record, I was completely bowled over and put it in my, my top, my top 10. This was in the, the late nineties. Would you believe in me? Would you believe in me? Sorry. No, I've never heard of John Lucian. I'm excited to hear that. And, uh. Dumb question, is this what inspired Quincy Jones to name his daughter Rashida? Well, when was Rashida Jones born? Well, that's going to deflate my theory in a second here. Because <laughs> the record was 73. 1976, I think I'm on to something. Oh, okay. I would not be surprised if Quincy Jones was a fan of this record. All right, well, and that guy's one of the all-time tastemakers, so. Mm-hmm. All right, John Lucian, would you believe in me? I'm ready to. I'm ready to hear this one. I think I got a I got a strong feeling we're going to be three for three. Yeah, this is this is strong. This is strong <laughs> segment. <Hope> so. <laughs> Expecting it to go there. I'll wake you with songs in the morning if you believe in me. I will bring to your heart sweet contentment if you believe in me. I'll use my soul to bring you pleasure, my heart to bring you joy. That brass. Pretty unimpeachable arrangement. Yeah, like I love the out of control horns. Like when the when the sort of uh, the extra octave comes in uh, and it's slightly out of tune and out of control. Like yeah. I just love that. Yeah, it sounds like it's tearing at the seams of the song, especially because the the rest of it is so yeah, yeah. you know tight. I mean, it's, it's loose and tight at the same time, mm-hmm. but like the horns try to just like propel the music right at the margins of where it can exist. And yeah, they're just and, hanging and on. And it was like yeah. composed perfectly yeah. to like plan for that and allow for that. Like there was room for it within the the song, like just as a composition. Chris, is the rest of the record that mm-hmm. strong? Oh yeah, I, I think it is. Like it's it's wall to wall compelling music. And there's, a, there's another real banger on side too called the War Song. And yeah, it's just like, it's, it's like a concept album about his obsessive love for one woman, basically. And, um, the, this, the character keeps coming back over and over again. The way the album opens is with this beautiful sort of, you hear like the sounds of the ocean and, uh, and you hear like children playing and stuff. And then this, this beautiful sort of, um, wordless vocal, uh, track comes in with, with, you know, with the backing band. That's only about 
a minute and a half long or something. And then that, and then you hear the, the ocean waves crashing and then, and then it goes into that song. Like you hear the drums come, you hear them counted in and mm. then the drums come in straight from the ocean. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> like you're suddenly, you're suddenly like put into this other Transported. room. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, I just love, uh, like he did three records in the mid seventies that are all really good. There's one called mind's eye and there's one called uh, song for my lady. And, uh, I mean, they're all within the realm of, I suppose, easy listening, but they're weird enough that number one, they didn't sell at all. And they, Insane. he, he kind of like stopped making music for, for major labels after about 1976. And, uh, but it, it, I feel like in Britain, particularly he was rediscovered in the eighties and nineties, um, by the rare groove DJs and like people seeking out, you know, unusual and eccentric American R and B. And, uh, which was like, uh, uh, that was kind of like the thing that I was chasing after as well in, in the nineties was like, I was always looking for, for stuff like that. So, I, so I heard inspiration information and Ra- Rashida right around Ooh. the same time, like 1997, 98. And they that blew, must've been an exciting mind. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, Chris, yeah. we, uh, on a podcast long ago, uh, on an, like one of our, very early episodes. I, I put it forth that uh, early seventies is the best era in music history, and uh, you've certainly <laughs> done yeah. nothing but support that argument today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always made like I maintained like sort of sixty eight to seventy four was my prime period uh, that's, of, of that's stuff what I Matt like said. to listen to. <laughs> that's what I said. That's the era. Yeah, those are but the I, years. But, but in recent years, I've I've definitely uh, got, developed a huge love of uh, it was kind of seventy five to eighty five era R and B. Like there, there's so many good songs that were not by name artists. There's tons and tons of singles from that era, not necessarily disco, but um, stuff that like there were a lot of like slow songs, particularly like from the later seventies that um, that use synths and things like that. But they're but they're they're not disco, and then there's and then of course there's the whole era of um, you know drum machine music in the in the 80s that uh, there's there's tons oh, yeah. and tons of good examples of that too which I at the time I didn't know about you know because they they were not played on the radio stations that I was hearing at any rate. Yeah. Each era has its charm, including you know 21st century. There's there's plenty of great stuff going on. But, oh, I uh, know, yeah, yeah. I if I had to live somewhere, it's like, ooh, let me just cozy up <laughs> next to this like staccato yeah. clavinet and the freaking t- tape machine, like blown shit. You know that whole that vibe. <laughs> those those funky bass lines. I could I could spend totally. all day there. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome uh, hearing these tunes and getting a really dig into uh musicological matters with you this is uh part of the show now where we want to just go over what we've learned today yeah uh, maybe uh thinly i'll have you kick it Har- off hearkening back to the sesame street yeah we we end always end what did we learn <laughs> yeah. i try to end on a positive note uh I, I i learned about john lucian i i never heard of that fella and now i'm really eager to check out this record rashida which is his second record you said this is Second album? Or? Yeah, there's an there's an earlier one too called okay. I Am Now, which has his show tunes. Like he does some <laughs> some like uh, he does like show tunes oh, covers yeah. on it, including the sa- the song The Sound of Music. <laughs> oh, sounds like it would be interesting. I, it's good. I also it's learned really that it's high time for me to go back and do a Sly and the Family Stone revi- revisitation of the music. You know, 
Oh yeah. I think this will be my like third time coming back to just like get stuck there for a little while. And it feels like the time is right (laughs) to do that. There's never a bad time for that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, Marcus Starling, what did you uh, take away from today? What? Well, it was nice to hear those songs with you guys and um, get your, get your take on them and uh, sort of, uh, you know, you, you've uh, vindicated me now in uh, my, my music. You're correct. uh, 25 (laughs) 25, 35 years ago, and uh, thank you for that. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's interesting how, uh, like, what those songs, how the, the way those songs sound in 2023 compared to how they sounded um, back then, because, you know, now there's been 25 plus years of indie music yeah. that has kind of sought to emulate the style of the early mm. 70s. And expand And on. it's just... It, yeah, and sort of like there's there's more things that have been added to the catalog now. I, I think um, so. It's it's interesting to hear those that those um, songs still really stand up uh, to uh, the modern ear as well. Yeah. Well, to that end, what I learned today is all the different artists uh, that were, I'm sure, key inspirations and influences for Diamond Violence. So that's good gonna, plug. That's a yeah, good plug. I mean, mm. it's it's. They, they plug themselves when yeah. the, the grooves are that smooth. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like to take genres and combine them. Yeah. Like if I'm going to do a disco song like Diamond Violence, I like to combine it with early 70s sounds mm. as well. Uh, well, you got anything coming up you want to promote to the, uh, the good people at home? Moi? Mm-hmm. I have a show coming up on March 4th. Will this be out by then? It will. Uh, okay. Well, here in Toronto, March 4th. At the Great Hall, um, opening for Junior Boys. Uh, It's going to be me and Dorothea Paz performing as a duo. And uh, Dorothea Paz is a wonderful uh, singer-songwriter from Toronto whose debut record came out in 2021, which is a real mind-blower. If you guys haven't heard it, you need to hear it. Um, And she is my bandmate now. So, uh, like, we've been... You know, she's been like singing and playing guitar with me for the past year and a bit. And so we're doing this special performance as a duo where we're going to, you know, sing and play each other's songs. Wow. That's awesome. Before a, a junior boys show, which is, um, yeah. I don't know if you guys know them, but they're yeah. a legendary uh, Canadian band from Hamilton, Ontario. Well, that's going to be awesome. Very warm, warm electronic uh, anthems. Uh, they're sort of known for a pair of albums that they made between 2004 and 2006, but they've gone on to, you know, make a ton of other great music as well. And they've just made a new record called waiting cool. game, which is much more experimental than their, their previous work. And, uh, uh shows a much like, it's a really interesting uh, direction that they, that they took with this, with this record. Wow. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna, we'll, uh, post a link for that show in the, uh, the show notes of this episode and Hey, listener at home, you know, go to that show. If you're in the Toronto area, Get your tickets in advance. Mm-hmm. It's going to sell yeah, out. I bet it will. If, uh, if you enjoy this old podcast here and you haven't done it yet, I would hope you'd subscribe on your platform of choice so you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, leave us a rating or a review. We want to hear from you, whatever feedback you got. Uh, you can follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, all at Losing My Opinion. Uh, and what did I say today? You know, I, I can listen to the Gypsy Kings cover of Hotel California, blocking out not only the original, uh, I don't think of the Eagles, uh, I can block out that iconic scene in the bowling alley from Big Lebowski, I can block out 
the uh, the horrible squalid uh, 1990 production techniques. I could I can just enjoy it <laughs> on its own merit, not think about any of that. And I could be wrong now. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So anything you got to say to your, for yourself for, uh, before you leave the podcast, Matt? Any uh, me catchphrases? Yeah. Oh, so long, suckers. And we'll see you next week. You're not suckers. I don't mean that. But we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, you're gone.